Well, if you want to open to John chapter 6, I'm just going to read a few verses here. John 6, I'm going to read verses 38 to 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So just by way of review, we talked through, this is the third week now, about the Jesus' relationship with the Father in terms of the Father's will. We talked about how that word will is just the word desire or want. So we could say Jesus came to do what God wanted him to do, not what he wanted to do. Or Jesus came to do the Father's desire, not his own desire. So we talked about that we ought to have rightly ordered desires, which the top desire would be we want to do what God wants. It's okay to have our own desires. Even Jesus said, you know, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. Not what I want, but what you want. And so he had desires, and he submitted those to God, to the Father. And so it's okay for us to have desires. We don't want to suffer. We don't want today to be hard. But in the end, we say, God, what you not what I want, but what you want. And we want those to be rightly ordered. We don't want anything to come above our desire to do God's will. We called that, we talked about how lust is just an over-desire. And in English, we think about that as a specific, very specific thing. But it's actually more general. Paul uses that same word to say he earnestly desires to see people. Well, it's just a strong desire. So it's okay to have your own desires, but... When they become over-desires, it's a sin. I want to eat ice cream. I love ice cream. That's okay. But if I want to eat ice cream so bad that, you know, I ruined my health, that would have been an over-desire, a lust that became a sin. And so, in the end, I submit, we and Jesus even submitted all his desires to the Father. So that was the first week. And then, we talked about one of the desires that God has for us is just for us to go through difficult things. And that that, we have to know that going in, that it's not just going to be easy. God wants us to go through difficult things for our good and just trusting that He His desire is for our good ultimately. And we looked at quite a few verses on that. And so then this week, I uh, just want to talk about the question that comes up many people might be the first question we ask when we talk about God's will or God's desire or what does God want, which is how do I discern that? What, how do I know what God's will is? And going to be kind of an overview. I mean, you could spend a lot of weeks just on this, but so we're going to move kind of quick. But the first thing I want you to notice from these verses about God's desire, if you're asking, what's God's, we might say this way, what's God's will for my life? Or you might say, what does God want for me to do? Or what does God desire for me? The first thing that I want you to notice in these verses, the most basic thing, is that he wants you to believe on Jesus. 
That's what he says here. Let's read that verse again in John 6, 39. And this is the desire, this is the will, this is what God wants. The will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. This is what God wants, this is what the Father wants. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the first thing. You know, a lot of times when we say, what's God's will? How do I know God's will? What we're really talking about is, I've got this specific decision and I don't know what to do. How do I know what God wants me to do? And if we miss this first thing, it doesn't really matter, right? What if you got everything right? You know, you went to buy a house and you bought the right house. Or you went to parent your kids and you parented them just right. And when they messed up, you did just the right amount of discipline, just the right amount of grace. And all the time you didn't believe in Jesus. It didn't matter, right? You missed the biggest thing, the most important thing. What if you got the right job, married the right person, did just the right thing with your 401k, and in the end you didn't believe Jesus? It would be all for nothing. What God wants for you is to trust Jesus, to believe in Him, to have faith in Him. And if we don't get that first thing, all the other secondary things aren't going to matter in the end. We've got to trust Jesus. You've got to trust Jesus. Let's say the reverse. What if you are really bad at discerning what God wants and you always make the wrong decision? You go and, what, what should I do here? And then you make a decision, this is the best as I understand it, and it doesn't work out. And then you do it again, it doesn't work out. And it doesn't work out. And it seems like at every turn, you, how am I getting it wrong so often? It seems like, but then... All the time you are believing in Jesus, trusting Him for your soul, for your sin, for your life. Success, right? In the end, all those things are going to fall by the wayside. Even if they're truly mistakes where you had bad discernment or God's going to say that you you missed it here, it's all covered by the blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. And so we've got to get the big thing first. And it's kind of freeing, really, and encouraging. Um, and maybe you're, maybe you're a kid. You know, you're graduating high school. What should I, should I go to college? Should I not go to college? What should I major in? You know, what should I do here? Well, I don't know, but I know one thing: you need to believe Jesus. Whether you're a doctor or you're a construction worker, you get married, you don't get married. The thing that's going to make the biggest difference is, are you trusting Jesus? Do you love him? Do you trust him? What's Jesus to you? Has he covered your sins? Is he your Lord? Do you believe him? Do you trust him? So that's kind of a big sigh of relief, because what if we get everything else wrong? As long as we're trusting Jesus, we're secure in him. So that's encouraging. So that's the first question you might just ask yourself. Am I trusting Jesus? Am I believing Him for my sin, for my life, for my kids, for my day? I'm glad, aren't you glad that Jesus always did the will of the Father? This is a pretty encouraging thing for Him to say here. I came to do what God wants, and here's what God wants. He wants you to know me, to trust me, and to have eternal life and be secure. 
That's a very encouraging. So that's the first thing, the, the main thing, the big thing. But there's other things we could say too that we still do want to make the right decision. If you are believing in Jesus, you want to try and discern what God wants. You don't want to just, you, you want to think about it. And what's one way that we can know that? Well, another way is through the Scripture. Through the Scripture. And we won't go back there, but we spent last week talking about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and he quoted the Scripture there. That's how he, one of the ways Jesus knew what God wanted was he knew the Scripture. And he quoted the Scripture. This is what God wants, this isn't what God wants. And so it's the same for us. The Scripture gives us guidance. When we don't, when we want to know what does God want me to do here, we can ask, "What does the Scripture say about it? What does God say in His Word?" That's a basic question. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because I think we've we've heard. I think just recently, even when we went through Proverbs, talked about God's will and things like that. So I won't spend too much time on it. But let's look at one verse here. I do want you to look at this verse. In 1 Thessalonians 4 with me. About what's God's will. What's God's desire for you. First Thessalonians 4. Verse 3. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Let's just stop right there. In the context here, he's talking about holiness, things you should, shouldn't should do, should do. But we can just stop right there. If you want to know what God's will is for you, what you, God wants for you, He wants you to believe in Jesus. But He also, His will is that you be sanctified. You should you be set apart for Him that you abstain from sin, that you do what He wants you to do, and you don't do what He doesn't want you to do. That's an encouragement. It's a, it's a big thing. It's a big overarching principle. God wants you to avoid sin. God wants you to do what's right. God wants you to be set apart for Him. You're His. You're totally His. And... You live for Him, set apart, just like the the utensils in the in the temple, right? They were set apart. Like here, there. This is what they're for. They're not for other things. You remember when one of the kings got all the temple stuff and he and he started using it at a party, and then God wrote on the wall, you know, here's the judgment. And God came, and He's like, that's not what those are for. You know, there's a lot of other sin involved, but for sure. He had taken things that God had set apart for himself and was using them not for what God intended. We are just like that. You are set apart for God. You're set apart to be used by God. And you're His. You're totally His. What else can we say about knowing what God wants for us? Well, Again, from Matthew 4, when Jesus kind of, when Jesus is tempted, like we talked about last week, we can ask this. You're in a situation, you, 
you are believing in Jesus, you search the scriptures, and you it's not sin necessarily. It seems like you have you could go either direction. It's not necessarily sin one way or the other. Then what? Do you, what what's another question you could ask? Well, just like at the end of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, Jesus says to Satan at the very end, verse 10 in Matthew 4, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You know, in the end, basically what he's saying there is, that wouldn't glorify God to you know bow down and worship Satan. That's a question that we can ask ourselves um, as we come into situations that maybe the scripture doesn't have specific guidance on. What's my motivation here? Is this for the glory of God? Is this to honor God? Or is it something else? And you may have two options. And one, you feel like you can do for the glory of God. And the other, you know, it isn't. Your motivation isn't right. That's a good question to ask ourselves because we know that God, one of the things God wants is to be glorified. That's one of the things that is God's desire, God's will. Is our motivation to glorify God? We might also ask ourselves, we could turn here to Matthew 22. Another thing we know that, it's a lot of verses here, but talking, kind of covering a lot of ground. Another question we can ask about God's will if we want to know something God's will in terms of our motivation, in Matthew 22, we see what Jesus says is the big thing here. He says in Matthew 22:36, they ask Jesus, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law, the greatest commandment? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we could ask ourselves, here we've got a situation, we want to know God's will. Not only what does the scripture say, but is my motivation for the glory of God, and is it for love? Do I love? Is this something I'm doing out of love? You could do the right thing without love, couldn't you? You could do you could do the right thing and, and not be motivated by love, which would be missing. And it's kind of encouraging here that this says this of all the commandments, you know, these two commandments, everything hangs on these two. Do I love God and am I loving people? That's pretty freeing, you know, because it's if we're honest, at least if I'm honest, there's a lot of things that are hard to fit together, right? There's a lot of things where the scripture is like, well, look at these verses. That kind of looks like it leans this way. Look at these verses. Well, it looks like it kind of leans the other way. I'm not sure what to do here. Well, I can know the big two things that all these other commandments hang on. Do I, am I loving God and am I loving people? And I can, even when I don't know how it all fits, I'm on good ground if I'm going that direction. That's encouraging. It's freeing. There's a couple more things, and these are all things. One of the reasons I feel okay about going so quick on this part is because, like I said, we, we've talked about this before in Proverbs, but what I, when, two more things here that we can 
used to know the will of God or his desire in a particular situation, prayer. Again, something we talked about just the last two weeks is Jesus' prayer there in the garden. And I'll just read that again. Read it from, this time I'm going to read it from Mark. It's a little bit different, but gives you the same feel. This is Jesus' prayer in the garden. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Here's Jesus. He's got this desire. And what does he do with it? He submits it to God. He goes to God in prayer. And he gets an answer in that God doesn't take it away. I don't, he may have got another answer more than that, but we definitely know that at least he got the providential answer, which was continue on to the cross for sure. So there, prayer, we can pray. When we have something, we want to know God's will, a particular decision or something like that, are we believing? Are we trusting Jesus? What does the scripture say? What's our motivation? Is it for the glory of God? Is it, do I love God? Do I love people? And we pray. We submit it to God. We ask God for help. And then finally, the Spirit. We've got the Spirit. And again, Jesus, we, when we read about the temptation, it says he was specifically led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And so the Spirit leads us. It doesn't tell us what that meant. It doesn't tell us exactly how that works. But the Spirit leads us. And there's other things we could say to counsel. We talked about that in Proverbs. Here, listening to other people. And in in many counselors are safety. And so those are, those are the big things. I think that we, you've all, I don't think any of that was new really. Um, that you've heard many of that, those things before. So that's in general what we could say. How do I know what God wants? And those are some general principles. But here what I want to do in the second half of the sermon is something a little different. And that is just to set up, here's this general idea, and let's just set up some guardrails um, from the scriptures about these things. Because there's some snares, at least for me, I've fallen into in trying to discern what God wants. And it's easy it has been for me to focus too much on some things and leave some other things out. So let's turn here. This is this might be the most important verse of all these because this really helped me this week. Acts 5. Acts chapter 5. David pointed this verse out to me this week, and it was really helpful and clear to me. He cleared some things up. So this is where Ananias and Sapphira sell this field. And I want you to notice what it is teaching about God's will. okay? Because for me, and I'll just kind of set this up, I had this idea that God has this perfect thing in every situation. So when I get up in the morning, if if I ask God, he'll give me, you know, there's just the right thing in every situation. I, I've got, there's the right thing to say to the person. There's just the right thing God wants me to do here. Um, how much money does God want me to give? There's a just the right amount, you know, and um, I'm trying to discern what God's will is. And, you know, 
I liked to go out to campus and, and talk to people on campus. And I would have this struggle in my heart, like when it was time to leave. And I would pray, like, God, is there one more person you want me to talk to? And I would really struggle with it. And I would be, you know, cold or, or whatever. And, like, I'm kind of wanting to go home. And then I would have this wrestling in my heart. Well, is there one more person? God, is there one more person you want me to talk to? Is, is this next person walking up someone that it's important for me to talk to? And so there's this kind of this wrestling in my heart. And and I had this idea there was just one right thing, and I was trying to figure it out or asking God and, and kind of expecting an answer every time and kind of being discouraged by how many times I just didn't know. So listen to this with Ananias and Sapphira and here. Is there just this one perfect thing that they're that God wanted them to do here? Or is it different than that? So Acts 5.1 But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interview, After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me, whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. So basically what, what happened was they had this field and in earlier people had been selling things and giving all the proceeds. And so they decided, let's do that. Let's sell this. And let's say we gave all the money, and then let's not actually give all the money. And so they said, yeah, we sold this field, and we're giving all the money to God. And they didn't. They kept some of it back. And Peter says there, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Meaning, you could have not sold it. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So once you sold it, you could have said, I'm giving, I sold this field, and I'm giving part of the money. That was, that was an option. He's saying it was at your discretion or at your disposal, meaning you had the choice. You could have, it was, God gave this to you. It was yours to do it. It was at your discretion, at your disposal, what you thought was best. But what you did instead was you lied. And so we see kind of all these things kind of converging here. One, it's never God's will for you to sin, right? And so that's what they messed up. They lied. Um, that was totally wrong. But on the other hand, here's this big decision, which is I have a field. Surely it's worth quite a bit of money think about Judas bought that field. They bought that field with the blood money. It was 30 pieces of silver. That seemed like quite a bit of money. So maybe it was worth less than that, but it was still quite a bit of, of money at the time. And God is saying here, it was at your discretion, at your disposal. You could, you could give part of it. You could not sell it, or you could have given part of it, or you could have given all of it. But what you shouldn't have done is lied. So that's pretty freeing, really, because it it helped me see... There's not, God doesn't have one perfect thing every single, in every single decision. He's given us things where there's liberty. It's at our disposal. It's at our discretion. That's kind of freeing. I mean, especially if, 
maybe you have a different background than me and for whatever reason I had this idea in my mind there's like there's a perfect amount of time to stay out on campus and there's a perfect amount of money to give you know and you hear stories even about people giving money to missionaries it was like the perfect thing down to the cent you know well that's great and I'm glad that happens but it doesn't necessarily mean that every time and every decision we make God has this only one quote-unquote right thing to do there's liberty there's times where it's just it's at your discretion. And that's freeing. Uh, it's kind of like a broad, a, a more of a broad opportunity for you to make a decision um, if God hasn't said you shouldn't do this or you should do this. That's f- helpful to me. So just that first principle that it's not always, you don't always have to have guidance. You don't always even have this one perfect, you know, dollar amount to the cent you have to give. You've got, even with big things like a field, Liberty. Is that your discretion? You give part of it, you give all of it. And they didn't, you know, Peter didn't get upset or condemn them for any of that. What he was saying was wrong was the lying, lying to God, lying to people, uh, lying to God through, lying to the Spirit. And so that's helpful to me. Just there's things where God has given you liberty, even big things. The second thing I want to kind of another guardrail to set up is just ask yourself, okay, here I've got this big decision or little decision, and I want to do what God wants me to do. And you, all the things we talked about, you ask, what's my motivation? Is it, do I have a wrong motivation here? What does the scripture say? Am I trusting the Lord? You pray about it. Is the spirit guiding me? If there's a, you know, a real big decision, you get counsel. And then ask, this is kind of another guide rail for me that was helpful. Does the scripture, how much does the scripture emphasize this, this particular matter? You know, for example, nobody, I don't, I can't think of anyone who's rebuked for buying the wrong house. You know, you, you should have bought this, but, but you didn't, you know, and God was really displeased. You didn't hear his guidance. At least I can't think of any. In general, it seems like God is rebuking people, correcting people on things that are super clear, that maybe he said something very specific to them, or things that are obvious from the scriptures like sin, sinful things. And so these other things, at least for me, I can get bound up and I've got to find the right thing. And in reality, I don't know where that's coming from. It's not really coming from the scriptures. It's not, I'm not taking that in from the Bible that God is looking down and saying you're missing the guidance here or there. In general, it seems that God is more concerned about who we are than about a lot of these little decisions or these decisions on which car to buy, which house to buy, which even which job to take. God is more concerned about who you are. And that really that verse in Thessalonians, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That's really helpful because it's really saying wherever you are, that I, this is the person I want you to be. If you're a teacher, I want you to be like Jesus and I want you to love people and I want you to be there for me. And if you're a nurse or whatever, and it's the person you are in all those places, the house that you have, the car that you drive, how much you give or how much you keep back, all of it is God's looking down. And what pleases him is you. 
your heart. He, God sees not as man sees. God looks on the heart. And so that's also freeing. God is in general looking at the person you are, not these, um, these things where there's no guidance or where we don't get any guidance. We can just have liberty. And it's, that, it's like that with our own kids, isn't it? God's our father, and just like we look with our kids, I don't really care what job my kids have. I don't really care if they get married or don't get married. But what's going to please me most is who they are. If they're a doctor and they're deceitful, I'm going to be less pleased than if they're you know, unemployed and have great character, love God and, and love people. And it's the same with God. God looks down and he's given us these general principles. There's liberty in many of the specifics and he's pleased with who we are. Here's another guardrail in terms of um, discerning God's will. Let's turn here again to Matthew 5. I think this is the last time I'm going to have you turn. We did kind of a lot of flipping around here. Here's another guardrail. This one was really helpful to me as well on guidance. Matthew 5, starting in verse 25. Uh, No, that's not right. Matthew 6, I think. Yes, sorry. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the field, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, there's a lot here, uh, and we're going to just look at one kind of specific idea here. But first, one, your father cares, knows and cares about your needs. So here, this is talking particularly about food and clothing, but think about it, couldn't we say guidance too? Your father is not going to, he's going to give you everything you need. And so if you need guidance, he's going to give you guidance. If, there, if you're about to go wrong here or there, God is not going to just lack guidance for you. He's going to be there. He's going to provide what you need. That's one thing. Um, we can trust God to guide us. When we pray, like for example, I'll give you the example of me going to campus if I prayed, you know, God, I'm getting cold, my feet are getting cold, Can I, I'd like to go home, is there one more person you want me to talk to? If I didn't get any clear guidance, if there's liberty, I don't need to be anxious. 
if I needed guidance, if it was utmost importance that I talk to someone, I can trust that God would show me. And if he doesn't, I have liberty to go inside and warm up or get home. And that's okay. God will give me what I need. He, he'll give me the guidance that I need. So are we seeking the guidance? If we are and we, we don't have, you know, if there's liberty with the counsel that we get and all these other ways we're looking at our prayer, we can have peace knowing God. God's not going to lack guidance. God's not going to see that we need guidance and not give it. And the second thing that I want you to notice here is just simply this. For me personally, I really wanted to do what God wanted me to do. Like I, I, in my heart, when I was praying those things, and I would, this is just kind of shows you something about me in kind of a negative way, but I would even like walk towards my car and then start to feel like anxious, like, oh wait, no, I wonder if I'm doing the wrong, wrong thing and turn around and walk back. And it would be like an anxiety in my heart. And the reality was is that in wanting to do what God wanted, I was actually disobeying a direct command, which was don't be anxious. And so I was actually disobeying the scriptures in trying to follow God's will. And so I had a wrong view. And that's another, I think, guardrail, at least for me and maybe for you, is if your view of um, guidance or knowing God's will or doing God's will leads you into deep anxiety, something's not right there. Because that's against obvious commands, right? And so that's kind of where I, ha- I was at, at different times in my life. And it led me to be anxious, which was just totally wrong. I needed to trust the Lord. Um, and so that's another question, kind of guardrail for you to ask is, you know, it's good to seek God's guidance. Is it leading you to be very anxious? Um, and if it is, maybe talk through it with somebody. At least for me, it was helpful just to talk through it. I don't know that I would even have put it into those words until I started thinking about it and kind of verbally processing. I didn't even know that I realized, well, I've got a real anxiety here um, that I didn't, I couldn't have put my finger on necessarily without kind of talking through it. But that's not good, and it's not right. The Father knows what I need. I can trust Him to give me the guidance I need. And then lastly, on in terms of this passage, it's the Overall emphasis is, here in verse 3, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about these other things that are less important. God, Seek the big things, and the little things will be taken care of. God will take care of you. And I think that's a good guardrail as well. It's like, if I'm getting anxious over these little things, God has already told me, do the big things, seek the big things, and I'll take care of the little things. And so I don't need to be anxious about which shirt I wear in the morning. Um, Which is, I mean, you know, it sounds silly, but it may really be. You know, should I wear this shirt that says a Bible verse on it? Is that important? Is somebody going to, you know, um, see it and give a witnessing opportunity? You know, things like that. You can have a right desire. I want to do what God wants. But in the end... We need to trust. If I seek the big things, God promised he'll take care of the little things. And so when we buy a car, when we do these other things, you know, I have never received subjective guidance on a car or these things. In general, I go on what the Bible says, what counsel is, and God doesn't give me special guidance. 
And I need to just trust. I'm seeking God. I want to honor God in general. I, w- I want to glorify Him. I'm not doing this as far as I know out of a selfish motivation. And I can just rest. I don't have to be anxious that I'm missing God. Trust really comes back to faith, right? We've got a Father who knows what we need. And we can trust Him. We can trust Jesus. We can trust the Father. We're seeking His will and we trust Him. That's maybe one last thing you could say is, am I doing what I'm doing in faith? Am I doing what I'm doing in faith? You know, again, back to the going out to campus example, I could say, maybe I stay out for another few minutes or an hour and pass out some tracks. Can I do that trusting God? Am I doing that in faith or am I doing that because I'm afraid to do the wrong thing? And if I'm doing it just out of fear, that's not right. And Am I doing it in faith, trusting God? Or if I say, God, I can I trust you to just, I'm cold and trust you it's okay to go home and uh, be with my family and do that in faith? Can I do that in faith? And the great, it'd be great if I could do both and then I have liberty to choose unless God gives some direct guidance. And if there's one that I can't, then that's another opportunity or you know guidance. I feel like I can do this in faith. You know, and in this, I feel like I'm really just trusting in myself or the means or I'm doing it just totally out of fear. And so overall, just to summarize the things we talked about, we have a good father who cares. He knows we can trust him. What he wants most is for you to believe on Jesus. If that's not the case, then start there. But if we are Christians... We have a lot of things we can look to in terms of what's God's will in this particular situation. And we can ask counsel. We can look at the scripture. We can ask motivations. We can pray. We can wait for the Spirit to guide us. And overall, trust God with the big things. We know these big things, and we move out in faith. Um, Some guardrails being anxiety. We don't want to be overly anxious all the time. We want to be walking in faith. We want not only that, just knowing there's liberty here. There may not be this perfect right thing. I may have a choice, and any of any three or four or five options would all be equally okay with God. None of them would be sin, and it's okay to make a decision. And so there's some liberty there. I'm thankful that we have a good Father that loves us and cares for us and guides us when we need it and is pleased with us mainly about who we are, Um, not about what car we drive and these other things. And that's why he hasn't given us, you know, guidance in the Bible on many of these things, even even parenting, which is a big deal. There's not a lot of guidance on parenting. I mean, there's some basic things. You know, raise your kids in um, fear and admonition of the Lord and, but there's not a lot about, you know, a lot of other issues that come up. And I can just trust God. I know the big things. I'm going to walk in the best I know how. And I'm not going to be anxious. You know, I don't. I know that's not what you want. You don't want me anxious all the time that I'm not just, just the right parent. Um, and so I can trust you and move forward the best I know how with what you've given me. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that some of those guardrails, maybe, maybe you've thought about all those. Maybe some are new, and um, most of all, we just want to please the Lord. Let's pray.
Father, we just thank you that you love us, you care about us. We do want to be pleasing to you and just help us. Uh, help us. If there's any sin, would you show us that? We, we don't want to be displeasing to you. In that, if there's any certain thing that we wouldn't know that you want us to do, would you show us that? And if there isn't, would you just help us not to be anxious and just to be trusting you to do the right thing? Uh, or that there's different things we could we could choose and they're all okay and none of them would displease you. So we just need wisdom in that. We need help. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you that you sent the Spirit and you didn't leave us as orphans. We're not alone. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your Son to cover our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for just being coming a man and always doing what the Father wanted you to do and help us. We want to follow in your example. Would you please help us? We lift these things up to you, I do pray. Father, it might be helpful even just to one person. Um, maybe there's somebody else struggling with anxiety like um, like I had, and I pray you just free them from that, and they can walk in liberty and trust in you. We just commit these things to you. Amen. Well, we're dismissed.